sins of London have followed us home. And welcome back to another supplemental reading of the Fast and Furious series. This week we're focusing on, depending on your edition of the movie, either Furious 7 or Fast and Furious 7. Those are the two variations I've come across. Yeah, uh, it's either Furious 7 with just a 7, or Furious 7 spelled out like on a road, or uh, Fast and Furious 7 as appears in the box set. As always, I'm Wheelman Henry. And I'm John. And together we're coming at you to continue this When Is the Joke Gonna Die series of going through each and every movie in the fuck you. At this point, we're seven movies and two shorts in. So really, if it was a joke, you'd imagine it would be over by now. You're right. <laughs> At the top of the episode, we have to issue two disclaimers. The first being, this movie came out in 2015. And therefore, we're in actual spoiler territory because the statute of limitations on spoilers is what? Ten years? Ten years. So we're violating that law. <laughs> we're hoping you watched it. If you didn't, we're hoping you either pause it right now and watch it, or you don't care about spoilers, because we're not holding back these furious punches. Yeah, so once we get started, the gloves are coming off, and of course the second disclosure that we have to provide is with each of these movies, as always, since Too Fast, Too Furious. We have been drinking Corona. Now hold on, Henry. We've been drinking Corona every time. Corona, the drink of the Fast and Furious franchise... But this episode opens with that disclosure and a gambit. A gambit? I want to make things interesting, Henry. The Belgian monk ale? Is that now, what's happening? Now. You, I bought this Corona. We're going to drink it. Hear me out. My gambit is thus. Well, us? We know that the Fast and Furious franchise has a four Corona lead on us. That's true. As of... Before talking about the number of Coronas that are in this film. Yeah, as of the previous movie, Fast 6, we we have a four-corona deficit. Yes, and we have to make that up because as we promised, we will drink however many Coronas are portrayed in the Fast and Furious franchise now. The, the gambit that I want to make. We have been drinking Corona for six straight movies, and we don't like it. We don't enjoy Corona. I don't think that's going to be a surprise. Why did you text me at 4 p.m. today? It's Rona time. Uh, because it is time for Rona. But you're going to do this weird thing. What 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 are you going to do right now? So what we can do is we can drink Corona. Or you can take me up on my gambit. And my gambit is we can drink whatever amount of Coronas we need to. But first, we will drink a fine... Belgian ale. God damn it. Brewed by monks. Le fin du monde. Mr. Nobody. What are you doing? So this is the first time in the fast, in the Fakue, where there is a credible competitor to Corona. Not your untalked about unnamed beers, not your Brahma. This is portrayed in the film as being potentially competition to the one and only true brew. And I think, in the words of Mr. Nobody... You gotta try that Belgian ale. I guess we should try that Belgian... It was almost his dying words. It was almost his dying words. Now, the thing is, we can drink Corona. There's nothing stopping us from that. But we have no obligation to finish that Sixer. We can keep remaining Coronas in the fridge to be finished at a later date. Now, the, the threat of the Gambit is, 
if we don't finish all of these, the deficit could grow so great that the final episode is nothing but us drinking Coronas as fast as we can. I mean, that would be rather fast and furious. It would be. We would be living our lives a quarter mile at a time. Yeah. Now, uh, I did not come unprepared. You brought glasses? Because with a beer this nice, you have to bring the finery. You brought some steins? I did not bring steins. I brought the appropriate glass for drinking a beer so nice. Snifters. Oh, Snifters. Southern Prohibition. So, Le Fandumont is a very, very nice beer. It is a Belgian Trappist ale. Well, it's made in the Trappist style. Bottle conditioned, so it has like a champagne top. Yeah. Uh, it is a very nice beer, and it would be a shame if we didn't drink it. Well... Even though it means we condemn ourselves to a corona hell. Look, I think Kurt Russell being the, in this movie is probably the more classiest thing that the... The, the fuck you has done. And the fact that persistently he, he's an aficionado of this other drink, we have to pay an homage to Mr. Russell, Mr. Nobody, and drink this Belgian ale. We must. Now, it, it is bottle conditioned, so it does have a champagne top. I am going to take it off on your couch and hope for the best. Well, I do have couch cleaner, but please, for the love of God, be careful. So there's no traditional, like, punt, like a champagne bottle. So it oh, should... here it comes. It's happening already. You know when you're holding a bottle of champagne that starts to go off in your hand? Anyway, here we go. That was relatively safe. It was. Ooh, it oh, smells real good. scared the fuck out of me. Alright, so uh, this... let me pour you some Belgian-style ale. I want the audience to know that it's like smoking. And myself some as well. Now, when people say that's a good head, usually it's not the entire glass. <laughs> yeah, I didn't try that hard. You poured more for yourself than you poured for me. I have a bigger cup. Oh, okay. Wait, that Ugh. still means you poured more. Oh my more god, the fuzz. Okay. All right. Belgian ale, suggested by Mr. Nobody. Prost. Prost, indeed. Even though that's not what they say. It's not bad. It's really good. Way better than Corona. So much better than Corona. And so, we still have a four death deficit. Maybe we'll break into that, or maybe we'll just drink this Le Fin du Monde, which, what is that, the end of the world? I think so. Yeah, we'll, we'll drink that and just, you know, the final episode, it's meant to be a finale for now. So we'll just get excru excruciatingly drunk. <laughs> that sounds fine corona. to me. All now, right. getting into the movie. Right. Uh, with those two, oh, this beer's so good. <laughs> with those two disclaimers done, let's hop into Fast Seven, Furious Seven, Fast and Furious Seven. Whatever you saw when you watched it is the name of the movie. That's the brilliance of these. Yes, of the, these movies of this of this brilliant, brilliant movie. So I don't really know where to start with this, but of course, I guess really the the biggest takeaway about this movie is the introduction of Jason Statham's character, Deckard Shaw. Yeah, shockingly, the first few moments of this film reveal that the guy who killed Han and the Stinger of the last movie is Shaw's older brother. Yes, Deckard. Yeah, Deckard Shaw is the older brother to Obadiah Shaw, whose real name is like Orion or some shit. Yeah, Owen. Now, my question is, uh, I really can't understand how Owen Shaw is still alive after being dropped out of an Airbus. Uh, 
my first big question of the movie, though, was how do you get an MP5 into a hospital? <laughs> and apparently the answer is, uh, okay, I have problems with this movie. I really like the way it opened because the, the tracking shot of Jason Statham walking back through the hospital he had destroyed, great. And that is thanks to uh, the new director of these, Justin Lin's time is done. His time in the sun is over. So now it is James Wan. And his time in the sun has come. I believe this is the only James Wan directed Fast and Furious film. Maybe he directs the next one. I don't know. Uh, James Wan is responsible for two movie franchises uh, acting as director in their first part that you're actually probably pretty aware of. Oh, let me guess. I get, Give me two guesses. All right. Uh, the first one is the popular series that never became a series, The Italian Job. No. The second series is... Uh, Come on, Henry. The car scenes are so bad in this movie. How could it be The Italian Job? <laughs> no, no, no. The second series is the time-honored, long-running series. It might still be going, The Land Before Time. <laughs> so, no. Very close on both counts. Uh, the first movie franchise that he's best known for starting is like chocolate. Yeah, it's delicious. Uh, is Saw. Really? The Saw movies? James Wan directed the first Saw movie, I do believe. Uh, now the second movie, coming out of left field, it's a lot more like Fast and the Furious than Saw is. The Conjuring. Oh, so (laughs) he's a famed horror director? Famed horror director James Wan came on as director of this movie and made uh, some interesting directorial choices. Is that why it's horrible? Mm. I have a thought. (laughs) Uh, So I don't think that James Wan made this movie bad. I think that in every instance, uh, except one, which we might get to, uh, where James Wan purely had time to direct and writing had nothing to do with it, I think that James Wan did a great job. Uh, the the tracking shot of Jason Statham very cool the the continued use of tracking shots during fight scenes car car chases like really cool kind of over the top didn't really like some of the slow motion stuff however this movie is terrible because of Chris Morgan because this movie made me realize something what Chris Morgan is an awful 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 writer I will say there were more moments of like is this really the dialogue in this movie than ever before in this movie? It's almost as though, I know that we said this of Justin Lin, that Justin Lin might just be a cipher name that people adopt when they're ashamed of something they've made. But maybe Chris Morgan is that, because you went from, I think the Chris Morgan ones go all the way back to Tokyo Drift, maybe. Uh, But through those movies, all of the writing is okay, I would call it okay. It's decent. It's not the best. Like, it tops out at Fast Five. The dialogue in that movie, I have no complaints about. The dialogue in Fast Five is tight. It's effective. There's a couple cringy moments, but, like, it serves its purpose. It's fun. I like it. But now we've got The Sins of London Have Followed Us Home, said by Dom. And now we've got Unleash the Beast, said by Dom. Now we've got Tedge working on some hacker stuff, to which someone replies in the most rote way possible, English, Tedge, I fucking hate the dialogue in this movie. It's awful. It's horrible. Of all of the fuck you, this film seems like it was phoned in the most by Chris Morgan, and I... 
I'm sorry to say that because there are some legitimately great parts, like the introduction of Deckard, that those these, this opening scene. How do you make a villain worse than the villains that came before it? You sh- you introduce him by like, oh, he's visiting his brother in the hospital. Oh, he's got a gun in the hospital. Oh, he destroyed he this destroy- hospital. He destroyed the hospital for, for basically no reason. Uh, you basically make uh, an angry ghost, <laughs> which is what Deckard Shaw is. Now, the beginning of this movie had me very excited because the dialogue, bad. The, what, the words he's saying to his brother, horrible. Not worth repeating. But when Jason Statham is tracking through the hospital, through all the chaos and devastation he's created with a total nonchalance uh, directed towards the violent verbs he's using to interact with the world, that's great. The credits start coming up, it's all the people you know, and then it's Digimon Hanso, it's Tony Jaw, it's Kurt Russell, it's Ronda Rousey, and you start to get really excited. Wait, you also have Gal Gadot. Yeah, you, and, have, and you have a credit for her, and Sung Kong. And Sung Kong. And so you're like, okay, are they going to do a flashback or something? And like, yeah. For their, their names to be in the opening credits, it's got to be substantial. Guess what? It wasn't. There's a there's a lot of moments in my notes where I just write the words Chris Morgan. Oh, really? <laughs> just whenever whenever there's something I find objectionable, I just write the words Chris Morgan. I, I, I don't know what to say because, like, I've been kind of praising Chris Morgan all the way through the series up until this point because he's done a decent job usually with the writing, with the dialogue, with... With the scripts, but for some reason, I guess he wasn't feeling inspired. Maybe he didn't like the prospect of a new director. Or maybe he was like, I... It feels like there might have been some interference on the creative's level. I I have no idea, because, I don't know, you, you take the writing that Chris Morgan had before, which was serviceable, but just... And I mean, it, it's it's not even in the dialogue, which is bad. It's in the fact that the story is absurdly unwieldy. The plotting is terrible. Uh, just to recap a little bit, just small on the small level, the crew finds out someone is hunting them. Yes. And so they go after them. And, like, there's some exchanges. It's really, like, insane that, that there's they go to a funeral... Because somebody died. It's yeah, Han. It's Han. Han. They go to Han's funeral. Han. And Dom goes to chase the guy. And Kurt Russell shows up. Kurt Russell shows up as Mr. as Mr. Nobody with for a government agency that is never named. And says that they are just fighting wars of shadows and ghosts or whatever. And introduces an entire subplot that I did not care about. At all. Uh, now, the subplot there is that they're looking for this microchip for this God's Eye thing that lets them trace, track if, any human being on Earth. If you thought Nightshade device was implausible in a badly named, you know, te- technological MacGuffin, the God's Eye... The God's Eye. It's, it's, Who cares? It's ridiculous techno babble. I will take a step back and say I love Kurt Russell in this movie, just as I love Kurt Russell in every other way. But the the crux of the plot of this movie, let me run this one by you. They're trying to find the God's Eye device so that they can use the resources to find and defeat Deckard Shaw. And at multiple points throughout the movie, 
Deckard Shaw finds them. Yes, because at the end of the movie, when they get the God's Eye device, they're like, finally, we can find Deckard Shaw. I'm like, the motherfucker who chased you to Abu Dhabi? Yeah. To your friend's funeral? The person who has followed you every step of the way and you could just shoot? There's a moment where Dom raises the objection, why don't I just use myself as bait and have Shaw come to me, which the writing attempts to hand wave and he's like, oh, yeah, you, you've, Mr. Nobody says, you lost one, you got two people in the ground, basically. How, how's that working out for you? But having the God's Eye doesn't actually help them that much. No, having the God's Eye makes them stage uh, an, really? an, an ambush where they are counter-ambushed. And then in the end, it ends up being uh, Vin Diesel fighting Jason Statham, which is just what it would have been anyway. It... it the movie wants to fall into the trappings of the fuck the, the, the Fast and Familia crew mm-hmm. helps out the government, the government helps them out. But it does it in the most clumsiest, the most clumsiest, it does it in the clumsiest way possible that's very unwieldy and clunky. And, and like, they're, the thing in the, the mountains where they, they rescue Ramsey, that's fine. Then the, the subsequent trip to Abu, Abu Dhabi? Mm-hmm. Tacked on, unwieldy, clunky. It's some some of the some of the best dialogue is in those scenes, and some of the best character work is are, are is in that scene. Yeah, in Abu Dhabi. So then cut the the Colorado. Sorry, it was filmed in Colorado. Cut the mountain bullshit. Yeah. Uh, though here's the thing. I know exactly why they went to Abu Dhabi. The well, after credits scene. Wait, you mean the if visit? you watch at the very end, there's the a huge visit Abu Dhabi. It was paid with Abu Dhabi and United Arab Emirates tourist dollars. Yeah, I mean, this this film, like, it's obvious why they had the scenes where they had It's Abu Dhabi. It, it's Abu... <laughs> That's a really great pun. But, but it's, it's... So then it's like, so why do the stuff in the mountains? Why do you have to go from one point to the next point? Why not just stage it all in Abu Dhabi? The, the story felt like it was thrown together. It, 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 Look, it, I get it. This is the movie where they drive cars out of a plane and skydive their cars. Awesome. Sure, that's great. How the hell did Deckard get on the mountain? They skydove their cars. Yeah. And Deckard just drove up. He just drove his cool car. No. He just drove his cool car. Why up, couldn't up the they mountain? just drive up? Here's the thing. Here's what I actually think the plot of the movie is. And tr- uh, try to follow me on this. I'll try. Deckard Shaw is a manifestation of... Of the Fast and Familia's guilt. He is not real. (laughs) He's a metaphorical force of death and destruction. Yeah. He's not real. (laughs) He he appears... He has a physical manifestation. But he's not an actual person who travels anywhere. That would explain how he's everywhere. Yeah. That would certainly explain, like, how he got to Abu Dhabi. How he... How he appears on the mountainside, and even like, well, no, that's still Abu Dhabi, the scene with the ambush. And it would explain why he does nonsensical things. Like, when he's expecting an ambush, he makes a dramatic show of somehow cooking, preparing a lavish steak dinner and glass of wine in the middle of a warehouse. Now, what I don't get about that scene in the warehouse with the dinner is that this entire movie, we're led to believe that Dom is going to kill him. Mm Mm-hmm. So why doesn't Dom shoot him on sight? It and would it would not be out of his character. Yeah. 
I, I think that... Why uh, are they trying to take him alive? There are multiple opportunities for Dom to just kill him. But it, it comes down to lazy writing, and then ultimately manifests in an anime fight that I hated. Like, like, like even if... Even if you just shoot him dead in that scene right there, you still have the, the, the warlord. Mm-hmm. You have Digimon Hansu, who's great. You have Digimon Hansu from uh, from uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yes. Was he? I, yeah, he, I think he's in that. I think he's one of the henchmen who's like, he's like, you know, who's Star Lord? He's also in a lot. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's absolutely in that. I thought I recognized him from that. He's been in a few other things. Well, I, I'm sure he's a, he's a good actor. I love his. I liked. I liked his. I love the dictator. I love his dialogue. Half yeah. of his dialogue is him going, "What shit, <laughs> fire!" It's yeah. great. It's, it's great. It's but... just good, good, good dialogue. I I don't get how you get from point A to point B with point A being the meticulous, meticulous, meticulously plotted out heist movie stuff in Fast Five that is then subverted in like a very clever in universe in world way. To the most convoluted plan to hack the God's Eye by having Ramsey in the car and then jumping from car to car. They don't have a plan, but they act like they have a plan. It's it's garbage. I feel like we could spend basically this entire episode talking about how bad the writing is, but it is. What I'd like to do... And no, just I just want to raise one thing. Yes. In that final little sequence where they're they're running away from the helicopter, mm-hmm. and the helicopter in the, with the god's eye is tracking Ramsey. Yes. Why didn't they do one of two things? First thing, make Ramsey wear a mask. Oh, because it, it also tracks voice, I guess? We'll just have her not talk. Second thing. Yes. Why not have decoys, like, with Ramsey masks? Why Why isn't everyone wearing a Ramsey mask? Uh, true. Why not just kill Deckard Shaw? <laughs> why not just kill Deckard Shaw and be done with it? Why? And why is... Okay. I interrupted. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, there's a lot to be mad about in this movie. Uh, what I would like to do Should if... we focus on the good? Not focus on the good. I just want to focus on the characters. Because we're like very high level stuff that we disagreed with with the writing. And sure, there's a lot to, to disagree with here. Um, so, and these aren't necessarily things that we liked. But of course we check back in with the house in LA. It's uh, Brian and Mia and... Dom. No, there's a thing before that with Dom and Letty, right? What part are you talking about? So, how the fuck does... Oh, this movie starts principally with Dom and Letty driving on the open road. Correct. Just to try to jog her memory. Yes. That doesn't happen. They He brings her to Race Wars. He brings her to Race Wars. Which, one of... 14 I, years later, is still <laughs> called Race Wars. Yeah. No in, one has addressed the, current, the issue. In the current political climate, no one has said, hey, maybe we should re- rename that to, like, Car Wars. Yeah, you know, anything else. No, they still called Race Wars, and Hector makes an appearance. Hector does make an appearance. Hector got old. Hector got old fast. Uh, so there's a lot. There's a lot in that scene. Uh, it's part of... What I like to call the series of 200 pretty okay callbacks to the first Fast and Furious movie. Uh, So all of Race Wars is that Race Wars has expanded. Now it's got like uh, motocross stuff. Uh, But I feel like this is really a first because the car scene scene at Race Wars is way 
way grosser than anything has been in these movies. It's so gross. Uh, they basically took cameras and put them in ladies' butts. The shorts are shorter. The butts are bigger. There's there's one flag girl who, like, the camera makes a point of catching her thong mm-hmm. multiple times. I watched this movie with my fiancé, and let me tell you, not a good movie to watch with your fiancé, because there's not one. There's not two. There's upwards of three car scenes, and each one of them plays out the same way, with just butts hanging out, with girls in skimpy clothing, and it's it's like, yes, we need to have a car scene in each one of these movies, that's the deal with the devil we signed. Yeah, when we when we made the Fast and the Furious, mm-hmm. we don't need three that last for upwards of ten minutes apiece. There's a car scene, and that's fine. But you'd think in a car scene, the principal pieces of decoration would be the cars and not the women. There were less cars in these car scenes. More women. More, more women. More, more thongy butts. More more body paint, body glittered clad women. Yeah. With those only... women were literally decorations. Yeah. Ugh. I, 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 I'm excited for the treatment of women metric at the I, end of this episode. I made episode. a joke to my fiance. That was just a passing comment. I was like, well, this isn't going to bold well for the, the treatment of women. Yeah. It's absolutely true. And then, of course... Uh, one thing that I do want to give this movie props for, I do believe this is the first movie since Fast Five or Fast and Furious, maybe, that did not start with a super obvious recap. Yes. You know, no Marvel-style introduction. I'm guessing uh, Juan did not want to recap it. And also, with regard to how the movie ends, maybe they thought they were already going to do a retrospective at the end, so they didn't want to front-load it with another retrospective i don't want to talk about that quite yet yeah but i just want to and you don't want to talk about the retrospective or the reason it exists both okay i want to talk i I want to bring it up because it fits the context of maybe why it didn't start with a recap but i feel like we should save that for later days uh we can talk about it in later days of this podcast because it is important uh so of course you have the the Letty scene, then Letty and Dom break up, which actually, this is something that I want to say of this movie as a whole. Um, I don't care if this movie's horribly written. Dom and Letty's relationship still actually affects me in a pretty genuine way. I, I What I will say for this movie, the number of hearts to, like heart-to-heart talks, I, I, I didn't count them, but maybe I should have. Because it starts with Dom and Letty, and then there's Dom and Brian, and then there's Brian and Mia. So many heart-to-hearts that it's like, you kind of forget you're watching an action movie for a little bit. Because everyone's spilling their guts out to each other. The only ineffective thing is, so Letty and Dom break up. There's, mm-hmm. That's a really great scene. It's, I, it's really good. They, In a weird way, in two moments in this movie... I don't know if I've ever seen amnesia treated better because they're totally honest about it because when they're in front of the gravestone, she's like, that is when Letitia Ortiz died. And, and I wrote Letty acting her ass off. Like, oh, her, uh, Michelle, Rodriguez Michelle Rodriguez's performance? So hard. Mwah. So good. Italian so hard. French kiss. Not what I meant to say. <laughs> Italian chef kiss. <laughs> Italian French kiss. <laughs> I, no, like... But it's all rendered ineffective when two days later, 
in the movie. Here's your team. Letty is Guess back. Your team's here. Letty comes back and she's like, you know, I just thought I would come back even though we just broke up. You know? You know? It's dumb. Yeah. It's it's so... The, everything... I love Kurt Russell. Everything his character touches in this movie just negates all, like, personal, personality and character that all these characters we love have. I hate his stupid fucking government thing. I love his... He does, he does give Tyrese room to grow. Yeah. I love Mr. Nobody. I like the... Oh, yeah. Good the character. Name, yeah. The, the character... He, he, he kind of hit it out of the park with this Belgian ale. It's not bad. He did. It's pretty good. Better than Corona. And I will say, for all of the flaws of the dialogue, maybe it's because they gave Tyrese a little more loose... Like, like they, they loosen the collar on him? Yeah. He's probably one of the better characters in the movie. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's absolutely one of the best characters in the movie because they actually gave him space to be human and be funny and magnetic in a way that they really didn't give to any other characters. Now, of course, you know, one thing that I do want to talk about uh, with the movie, and boy, I wish my notes would stop doing that. Oh, yes. Something I want to talk about. Previously, we have been watching these not in chronological order of the timeline, but in timeline of release, chronologically in the real world, one might say. Okay. Uh, so we all know that Tokyo Drift takes place in the future. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. This is the tie-in. Yeah. This is the crisis in Infinite Tokyo. Yeah. So Lucas Black is back in what I will call... The most oh Sean mer- Boswell the most mercifully short appearance of Sean Boswell. I was very worried that I, he was going to become part of the FQ crew. Me the too. The FQ Fast and Familia, I should say. It like to me, it only stood to reason. Like, okay, we're caught up with the timeline. Dom goes to Tokyo. Yes, we see that happen. We see the like the scene ripped straight out of Tokyo Drift. Like they didn't refilm it. They, yeah, they, they, they did not refilm it. They literally took the DVD of Tokyo Drift, they ripped it to a hard drive, they took that one scene, put it in this movie, filmed one extra little scene of... You know why they did that? Why? Because I'm... Here's the thing. Tokyo Drift came out in... So 2001 to 2003 to 2005. Sure. This is 10 years later. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if they tried to film that with Bow Wow being 10 years older? I wanted to see him grow. So, finally... He could be Big Bow Wow. Finally, he's just swole. He's, he yeah, just, he just, just looks like, like ludicrous. He gets ripped. He just looks like 2004-era 50 Cent. He's just huge. Uh, but... Bullet holes all over his body. They, uh, they bring in Lucas Black to reprise his role as Sean Boswell... Uh, and finally, his age fits his face yeah. because he looks like a 34-year-old, finally. I had legitimate fears because it, it would make sense for him to join the, the fuck you. He was friends of Han, and now, like, we're dealing with Han's killer. But at that point, maybe we didn't know. I forget. I forget this movie. Maybe Dom didn't know they were being hunted yet. But no, he got the call. He knew he they did. were being he hunted. Knew. He knew they were being hunted. So he, he could have turned to this high schooler <laughs> and been like, hey, I'm going after the guy who killed Han. <laughs> I'm going after the... You win? I'm going after the murderer who killed our friend. You win, high schooler who can drift? <laughs> you win, anime character? Now, what actually happened in-universe? Because we've discussed this. We've discussed that Sean Boswell is... 
was a special project of Hans, mm-hmm. is, a, is a special individual in the fuck you universe. Dom took one look at him and said, nah. <laughs> yeah. Not I'm, this guy. I'm, I'm good. I don't... How does he know how to drive? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure what happened is after that scene where he gets Han's belongings, he turned to this high schooler, knew he was good friends with Han. He just knew that he just won fucking Tokyo Drift Kings or whatever, and he turns over and he says, "So you're pretty good with cars, huh?" And then Sean Boswell says, "Huh, what's a car?" <laughs> and then he just leaves. <laughs> He's like. I know how to drift in a wheelchair. <laughs> He's like, I just know what people... T- no one ever explained to me what a car is. And Dom goes, you're friends with Han? And he goes, who's Han? <laughs> who's Han? Are you friends with Han? <laughs> Chewbacca. <laughs> you, you've seen a Star Wars? <laughs> this is my car. Points to Bow Wow's whole car. <laughs> Everyone's like, why would you say that's your car? <laughs> Uh, and did you notice <laughs> throughout the the actual movie of Tokyo Drift, we discussed that that Sean Boswell loses his accent. It's back in full force in this movie. It's back with a, a level of dedication that I feel like uh, an actor had to spend ten years getting better at acting and then unlearn it all just to portray Sean Boswell. I can't be- I honestly can't believe one he's in the movie and two he doesn't join the Fast and Familia. Now, uh we do have Fate and the Furious coming up. That's not tomorrow. That's next movie. That is next movie. I want to say t- like total honesty, if Sean Boswell is I want hear me out. We are unmoored now. There is no reason for the next movie to pick up where this movie left off. Yeah. And I know that loosely we could say that Tokyo Drift take took place in a time when people still used flip feature phones. That's true. I want the gap from Furious 7 to Fate of the Furious to be a time skip. Into the future. Into the future. Where Sean Boswell is allowed to mature. Sean grow. Boswell is the villain. <laughs> you want him to be the villain. I want him to I want Fate of the Furious to be traditional American muscle Fast and Familia versus super eyepatch drift king Sean Boswell in a globe-hopping, universe-spanning race fight. Race Wait, fight. no, hold on. I think there's a better way. Race war. <laughs> oh, my God. Car fight. Not, you know, battle of the races, they'll call it. I always joked that I didn't want to see him back. But if it, if he comes back in any capacity, please let it be that capacity, because then then he's then he's golden. He's great. Yeah, you and, t- and we can root against him. It would be so. It would be so perfect. It's not going to happen. It would be so perfect. Oh my god, I, I'm looking at my notes. But yeah, the the tie-in happened, and that's definitely uh, that's definitely a thing. And then, of course, we're jumping all over the place. But I want to say something um, to James Wan's great discredit. <laughs> oh no! The, the traditional car chase scene that happens between uh, Vin Diesel and Jason Statham, Dom and Shaw, Dom and Shaw, Dom and Deck, uh, is just mind-bogglingly horribly shot. Th- there's one. There's no music. 
Okay. There's no music. All of the sound is diegetic and environmental. So you have roaring engines. Cuts to far away. You can barely fucking hear anything. Cuts back roaring engines. That's what I want to talk cuts about. Cuts to a corner where no one turns. That's I, I want to talk about... What the fuck happened? In the previous movies, the, the races, the car scenes... That's hard. That's hard to parse. The car, the car chases. The car versus car scenes. That's what. Yeah. Um. They were shot pretty much tracking. Yeah. One cut. Sometimes from point of view. Yeah. They would cut into the car. Yeah. And then they would cut back to car. In this movie, there are so many cuts between act like for the same action. It, it, it's unbearable. Like yeah. In that one scene, in that one chase, you cut up, you cut this, you cut that way, left, right, all the turns. It's impossible to follow. Even uh, Fast 6, which I did not like, at least had the the plausible deniability of shots involving real cars lasting long enough to make me believe that they put in the work to make this thing happen in one take. But if you look at the scene where they're assaulting that bus, which is carrying the the devastating payload of Tony Jaw, when they're uh, approaching that bus, everything around that bus scene is cut, 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 cut. Like, you can't pay attention to it. We, we went from the fine composition, and I even applauded it in the fight scene. I think it might have been in Fast Five between The Rock and Dom, where it... it you know, it's not like Born, the Born series, where it's a series of cuts to make you think the fight is faster than it is. Yeah, it's supposed to be disorienting in the Born series. All of the fight scenes in this were exactly like the Born series. Like, so many fast cuts, so like, so many poor decisions and composition and camera work that the fights were hard to follow. When it was like a Michael Bay Transformers movie. When Shaw fights Hobbs, which one? The first time in the office. Okay. Which it made oh, me... Oh, Hobbs. Thank you, yeah. When when Sean fights... When Shaw, not Sean, uh, Hobbs would break... He would just crush... <laughs> just crush Sean Boswell's ha. head like a peanut. He'd be like, ha, I'm Sean Boswell. And The Rock would just go like... <laughs> yeah, he would crush him into a neutron star. Uh, but the first time that Hobbs and Shaw fight, it was... Uh, it had classic bad filmmaking because it was a fight scene that was happening i at no point had a sense of momentum who was winning what was happening and also to me as a human being in this real world that has a realistic size and weight super not plausible for jason statham to take on The Rock in a one-on-one fight. If the way that fight was filmed was The Rock is like, I'm going to beat you up. Then Jason Statham is like, I have like a small knife or something. And just starts like fucking him up and cutting him. Perfect. That would be fine. Because that shows as a character development thing. It shows that Shaw is vicious, ruthless, knows how to fight, doesn't give a shit. And that the traditional methods that we use for fighting villains in the Fakue are no longer effective. Yeah, it that would have been the best way to do it. It can't be muscle versus muscle. Because, because obviously Statham doesn't have as much muscle. But if you gave him like a, a knife, then it's like, okay, this guy's fucking deadly. Yeah, because Jason Statham is a classic, what I like to call, knife character. Yeah, like the Joker and uh, and the... Uh, and, what is that? 
stupid series called Injustice Series. Yeah, he's he's very deadly. He's not extremely huge, but he'll fuck you up because he doesn't care and he's got a knife. Exactly. And he knows how to use the knife. And a person who knows how to use a knife versus a muscle man... That's actually a fight. And it's completely undersold from a character perspective because they establish that Shaw is the kind of person who brings a gun to a knife fight. He brings a reinforced chassis to playing chicken. Like, he is a dirty fighter, and the fact that, like, you repeatedly make him choose to have fair fights with people completely undercuts his character. It would be so much more magnetic and enjoyable if he just fought like an asshole. Yeah. Because it's fun to watch assholes get beat up by people who have principles. It, the, the way you have him act like an asshole the entire movie so that when he finally meets his end, we cheer. Yeah. Whereas I, I feel like they wanted to make him likable in a weird way. So they like split the difference and end up with a character that just wasn't enjoyable to watch. <laughs> There was a there, there was a moment in that first fight between uh, Shaw and Hobbs where it does this weird gyroscopic flip thing. Mm-hmm. Now I need to ask you a serious question, John. When we first see that gyroscopic flip thing, did you think we're gonna see it twenty more goddamn times throughout the movie? I actually had the opposite, where I saw it happen once, and I was like, "That's really cool. Glad I'll never see that again." Uh, and then it continued to happen in every fight scene. Every they single just, fight. They just loved it. Because you know what they did? They got like an Osmo or something that like tracks a human being's movement. And they just kept using it. It's like it's like the person who knows one trick in Audacity. Yes. And they keep using that trick because they think it's good. Now I'm describing myself. <laughs> I, I thought you were pausing to like put one Audacity trick in there. Maybe, I don't know. I don't actually know any Audacity tricks. Shit. Now, there's a moment. I don't know when it happens. I forget. But there's a moment where it's like they strapped a GoPro. I don't know if GoPros were around. It's 2015. They were yeah, around. absolutely. They strapped a GoPro to, like, I, I might have been Dom. And, he, like, he's rushing up to... And it's a split second. He's rushing up to Shaw. It's a split second GoPro shot. And it looks amateurish, and I don't know why they included it. There's, I have major problems with the composition of this film. Is basically what I, what this whole segment boils down it, to. And it's really insane to me because the only time that I've had problems with the composition of one of these movies is Fast and Furious, like the fourth one. Yeah. Otherwise, these movies have been at the least serviceable as far as composition goes but this movie's a mess we can poke fun at justin lynn's seemingly lack of style but the one thing justin lynn brought to the table was a coherently cohesively shot film with a lot of good camera work Mm -hmm. and i don't know if this is a different cinematographer or what and it might be because maybe it's like hey we get rid of the director this is a chance to get a whole new crew. Mm-hmm. There's even like a weird Dutch angle of someone climbing stairs, which didn't need to be... All it does is nauseate. Yeah. I want to talk about something, though. I want to talk about some things. This movie is difficult <laughs> for me because I want to compare it to another real banger, and that is Fast 6. Yeah, the, the one previous, the previous movie. So Fast 6 had things that I liked... And things that I disliked. And by and large, I disliked that movie. 
Uh, this movie has things that I hate. And we've talked a lot about the things that I hate. But I don't want to let this go without saying that there are a lot of things in Furious 7 that I downright love. Alright. There are things in this movie that I really, really enjoyed. And, and for a turn of pace, I think we should focus on these things that we love. Because it's been a lot of negativity. And it's a bad film. But yeah, and, and we, we keep praising Kurt, Kurt Russell because we want him on the show, but also because he did a he did a good job of what he had. He did a really good job. He, if you can, I mean, Kurt Russell can sell anything, but he sold that turn in the ambush with the like double guns thing, which was dumb. But he sold it so well, I was like, "Fuck yeah, Kurt Russell!" I, yeah, I honestly feel like when he winks and gets shot, that's a complete improvisation, right? Yeah, he's like, "It's fine." Finally, it's Corona time, by the way, because we finished that beer. Man, what a misfire. Mazel tov. Jesus. Man, what a misfire. Jesus Christ. Is this like a bad omen? No, there's no bad omens in the world of fuck you. If there were, they wouldn't have made them. You're right. Uh, so the things that I liked about this movie. Kurt Russell, great. Uh, I didn't like his character. You're about to fizz. Uh, I did not like his character. Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. It, like, just crested for surface tension, then sank back down. I'm taking a picture to add to the Twitter. Oh, boy. Oh, you don't want to drink that. Oh. I'm going to add that to the Twitter later. I already took a sip. This is awful. Yeah, it tastes like drinking. It's like you soaked a loaf of bread and then rang it out. Oh, my God. That's exactly what... It's like the drippings of a wrung-out loaf of bread. It's really bad compared right. to that really good expensive beer. You've been leading up to what you liked in this movie. Please, for the love of God, just say it. Okay, so when you're watching the credits, I was I was blown away by the fact that they had Digimon Hansu, who is a fine character. I love him. Uh, but, more importantly, Tony Jaa. Tony Jaw is in this movie, and Tony Jaw is, number one, one of the hardest working and most magnetic martial artists working today. He's Tattoo. He's Kiet, I think is his name. I do, I do not pick up his name. Is he the henchman with the tattoo? Yes. He first shows up in the bus where he does that, like, really cool close quarters fight scene with Paul Walker, uh, with, with Brian O'Connor, which we've thrown out the idea that these people aren't martial artists, by the way. That idea that we picked up in the last movie where we're like, oh, they don't actually know how to fight because they just know how to fucking race cars. I will say, to Brian's credit, and only Brian's credit, he's actually been a pretty good fighter the whole time. He's a cop. He's, he's, a, he's, he's an a FBI agent. He's a cop in, in pretty much every movie we've shown that he can physically dominate people. If there's, yeah, if there's anyone who can fight, it's him. He physically dominates the shit out of that one guy. The his, his partner. <laughs> <laughs> the worst partner in the history of the world. Just breaking his nose all the time. Yeah. Uh, but no, he... That fight is very cool. Tony Jaa does almost all of his own stunts in whatever he does. Uh, Tony Jaa is an Ong Bak. Uh, which I like to call the movie where someone's pants get set on fire. And then he likes spinning, flying roundhouse kicks someone with flaming pants. All right, well, you sold that movie. Ong Bak's great. Tony Jaa. Tony Jaa is so good. I have one problem with Tony Jaa's character. The fact that he only says too slow? No, no, no. I, I like everything else. Except for this one thing. The truck is careening out of control. 
Yes. It, it, it's a fight for survival at this point. Uh-huh. He's a big enough dick to close a fucking cage on, yeah. on O'Connor. They make to be it, like, too slow. Okay, it was wrapped into the too slow line, but still. They make on. him very petty and weird. Uh, but he does do the Tony Jaw thing all the time of that, like, badass hammer heel kick that he's, like, really good at. And the chase through the warehouse or whatever, so good. The fight down the door that's sliding down those stairs is great. I almost feel like Tony Jaw directed the scenes that Tony Jaw was in. Might have. Uh, because every fight scene with him, it's it's all the Tony Jaw magic. It's like magnetic. It's kinetic. It's fun to watch. It's, uh, it's so good. He does a good job and I like him as a henchman. Yeah. Normally there's the one henchman that sticks around and he happens to be that one henchman. And usually that one henchman is a better villain or like a better presence on the screen than the main guy. And that, I do like Digimon. Hansu. Hansu. It's also not Digimon like Digital Monsters. (laughs) That's what I hear you say every time you say it. So that's why I repeated it. Digimon. Digimon. I do like him. I do like his character. But the other guy... Uh, Tony Jaa. Tony Jaa. You'd think I would remember that. Tony Jaa has such a more of like a immediate gut reaction when you see him on screen. Yeah. Because it's like, oh shit, it's that guy again. And then of course it's like, everyone is fighting the people they fought in the beginning of the movie. And another small dislike, everyone's saying the lines that were said to them. That's a bullshit. Yeah. It does not happen in real life, goddamn thing. No. But we're focusing... We're focusing on the likes... I said focusing with, like, five syllables. Lefe- Just for what it's worth, for the listeners out there, Le Fan du Mans is a 9% Belgian triple. Starting to feel it. Which is, like, the highest alcohol percentage you can find in most Belgian triples, though. For what it's worth, uh, I was trying to find a very specific Trappist. Just so anyone who's listening knows, Trappist beers are my favorite. Oh. They're brewed by actual goddamn monks, and they're expensive as fuck. Well, thank you for purchasing that on your own dime. That's fine. Uh, but anyway. You know, uh, if we had a Patreon, one of our goals <laughs> could be a bottle of yes, La Fin du Mans if, every episode. Uh, there are a couple that I'd get over La Fin du Mans, but <laughs> I, I'm a huge snob when it comes to certain beers. It's fine. Uh, but what I was saying is Tony Ja, great. Tony Jaw is fantastic, and also, I feel like I'm kind of paying myself into a corner by being the guy who reps the martial artists on every episode well, of this supplemental know, reading. I mean, that's fun. This is your world, you know? I, I, I've never been into martial art. Like, I know Bruce Lee because everyone knows Bruce Lee. I know Jackie Chan because everyone knows Jackie Chan. Tony Jaw is not a name I've ever heard before. But, like, when you get... Fast and the Furious has a, so far, pretty decent track record of getting, like, relatively accomplished martial artists. Because they like have... Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey, who is one of the most accomplished martial artists in the world. She's actually a martial artist? I was joking. Yeah, I mean, she practices mixed martial arts. That's what MMA stands for. Uh-huh. So you had Tony Ja, you've had Gina Carano, who's great. Uh, and then you also had something Tom Sick, who's that Indonesian martial artist from Fast Six, I think. Yeah, the one that um, both Tyrese and Sung... Sung Kong, yeah. Sung Kong fight, yeah. Yeah, I love that guy. Uh, They're all starting to run together. We've watched seven of these. <laughs> I, I was thinking about that when I was working on my tier list today. Holy shit, these movies. 
We'll get to that. And I always improvise my tier list, so goddamn is this going to be hard. <laughs> uh, but no. Uh, and then Ronda Rousey shows up in this movie. Uh, in wait, hold on. I want to. Uh, I want to do a little bit with you. I want. I. I oh, a bit. I made a sketch uh, on this part. Part. <laughs> I made a sketch on this podcast. You want to do a bit? Let's so, do a bit. So uh, I want you to ask me how Ronda Rousey's acting performance is. Dearest John, podcast friend of my life. Yes. How did you find the acting chops of one Rhonda M. Rousey? Hold on, let me check my notes. Bad. Oh wait, I thought you were talking about her performance in another movie. You're talking about Furious 7? Bad. Oh wait, hold on, I had my notes pulled up for another movie that she was in. Rhonda Rousey. I've got a lot of thoughts about Rhonda Rousey. Her fighting performance is fine she's kind of weirdly underused for what it's worth i feel like they made her Wait. do things that she wasn't super hold on you didn't like when michelle rodriguez is fighting three abu dhabi guards and ronda rousey is is wandering is... around the perimeter I, I was gonna say what is the word i want it completely left but like prowling yeah. Prowling the room like a lioness. Yeah, it's it's almost as though when they were fighting, she was like, finally, time to wander aimlessly. What, what it looked like to me was like, and I, I don't want to, it's not, it's not just because she was a woman. If a guy did this too, I feel like I would say the same thing. It looked like she was getting aroused. Yeah. Like she was getting off on this girl on girl fight. A lot of, a lot of Ronda Rousey's facial expressions <laughs> tend to look like that. Uh, but Ronda Rousey is great and I love her, but it's very strange that at this point in her career in 2015, they had her show up in essentially what's supposed to be like a martial artist role, uh, whereas Ronda Rousey's greatest strength is on the mat, giving people submissions. Isn't she a grappler? Yeah, she's a grappler. She's like master of the armbar. And they grapple a little bit, but not as, probably as much as Ronda Rousey I wanted. Almost, I almost feel like the two casting directors were like, we need martial artists. Who's hot right now? Ronda Rousey. But if Tony you look Joe. at... If, Actually, in 2015, Tony Jaw was very hot, so of course they got him. Yeah. Uh, and Ronda Rousey was big in the MMA. Mm -hmm. She was trying to do a, a little spring into movies. She's in like Expendables 4. Yeah, I'm not something. sure if in 2015 she had lost to Holly Holm or not, and if she was on the downswing into acting. But if you look at what Ronda Rousey is doing now, in terms of both acting and like physical prowess isn't she in the wwe she is and she's doing great which is that's awesome uh the wwe will do one of two things to you it will either burn you out and make you quit or turn you into a really good athlete and actor i really and like she, kevin owens she is on the uh the the latter part of that and that she's getting really good at acting good at talking into a microphone and is really magnetic to watch fights so she's getting better she was not used well in this movie kevin owens is my favorite Kevin Owens? Yeah, he's not um, KO. I'm really bad at current wrestlers. He's a heel, but oh. like he just heels always work the hardest, you know, because they have to sell everything. I'm now referencing Glow. Let's get back to the movie. Yes. That Michelle Rodriguez fight, eh? Yeah, it was. I was very I liked, excited for that, and then it was just total eh. I like the fight between Michelle Rodriguez and like the turncoat from Fast Six. When they fall down the stairs. Gina Carano. Gina Carano. I like their fight better. Oh, no. Here's the thing. And this will also be factored into our treatment of women and Chris Morgan. Because I've got a, a new 
I've got a new segment towards the end of this. Treatment of Chris Morgan? We'll talk about it. Uh, so I... If you if you listen to the commentary on Fast 6... Wait, you listen to the commentary? Parts. If you listen to the commentary... Who does the... the wait, before you get into this, who does the commentary? For the scene I was watching, it was Michelle Rodriguez and Gina Carano talking about that scene. That's awesome. They're talking about how it was written into the script... Oh, no. It was written into the spec script. So the spec of this fight before it was actually written out is that they proceed to have a cat fight on steroids, which is insulting. Yeah. Considering both of them are very, like, physically capable magnetic personalities. And Gina Carano and Michelle Rodriguez both said, no, we're willing to to put the time in to become, like, better at choreographing this because Gina Carano had limited choreographed fight experience and had to, like seriously trying not to hurt michelle rodriguez but michelle rodriguez was like no we want to rework this fight so it looks vicious and awful and that's what they did that fight's great so super credit to them super credit to them for coming and being like i don't want our fight to be reduced to the words cat fight on steroids in the script yeah no like that doesn't speak to either of their characters it certainly doesn't speak to letty yeah letty is not catty and it doesn't speak to Gina Carano, who is at that point shown as like a stern tactician, uh, not someone who would take place in a cat fight. And I think that was only written that way into the spec script because they were both women. Well, it, it, uh, they're both women, and it also speaks to a certain level of laziness, which I can I can relate to, but I will not defend. But no, that fight is great. And credit to them, like soup. Basically, that aside, to your point. How do we compare that to the Abu Dhabi-Michelle Rodriguez fight? Uh, she takes on four people. It, it's it's super unrealistic. It's super unrealistic know. because, I mean, it it is part of a series of fights in these movies where I remember from the outset of wanting to watch these movies, the, the greatest joy that I imagined myself having was watching the arc of these characters going from, like, zero... Like, just characters in a racing drama movie. Yeah, stealing VCRs. To superheroes. To stealing the nations. And I thought it would be more gradual, but the fact that it happened so quickly has actually left me robbed of one of the things that I thought would be my greatest enjoyment of watching all these movies. Now, it's given me untold gifts, and there's a lot that I'm really happy we've watched these movies for, but that journey happens in a little bit in Fast 6, mostly in Furious 7, and feels completely unearned. These characters just become pointless superheroes. Uh, and also, this sucks because it's part of the segment where we talk about the things that we like. Yeah, I mean, it's a real thing. Like, I, I I get the progress thing. It's like kind of wa- wanting to watch all of QI, quite interesting, to see the transition between Stephen Fry and uh, the, the lady who takes over, whose name I sadly don't know. Because I, I haven't done that yet, but I want to. Seeing progress, like watching all of Adventure Time to see the finale, is something that humans, we want to see the full story. Yeah, that's the thing that I care about most in fiction. Like, no matter what, I always look to progress of characters over time for my enjoyment. It all goes back to Reboot. The Canadian cartoon? Yeah, the Canadian CG cartoon. With the time skip. Yeah, the time skip is my basis of character progression. So for a, a current day analogy, you would say like Naruto between Naruto and Naruto Shippuden. Never seen it. Me either. However, what I will say is it, it kind of functions the same way. All of the, the progress, all of the development, the elevation of superheroes really happens between the Fast and the Furious and 
fast and furious. Yeah, it's it's exponential because it's like a relatively linear curve and then it happens all of a fucking sudden. And yeah. then it can't be stopped. Then it can't be stopped. So Michelle Rodriguez has become a superhero. Um, it's about damn time. Yeah, uh, but the Ronda Rousey fight is a, is a great misuse of her talents. Now, the other things that I liked... Yeah, yeah, let, let's refocus on These become much like. more vain. Things that I liked... Uh, the car jumping between skyscrapers in Abu Dhabi, that is a first for these dumbass movies, and I really liked it. All right. There's uh, not much conversation. So let, I, let, I do want to say, though... Can I interject? I, I just want to say... You want to interject something when, on that? When Vin Diesel deadlifted the car... Oh, fuck I, that. I wrote this sentence. Vin Diesel deadlifted a car. This movie stands for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> its principles are out. I don't know if I wrote a note about that, but I, I certainly exchanged end moment words with my fiance. Yeah, it it was at that point I realized that these characters aren't taken seriously anymore. Yeah, I, I wrote this: Dom lifting an entire car, a bulletproof supercar. Like they made a big deal over how great this car is, and he can just lift it. Now, supercars generally are pretty light. Bulletproof oh. cars are heavy as fuck. Yeah. All right, here we go. Something I liked, and we alluded to it earlier. The one scene where Tyrese was given complete freedom, and I feel like they were like they gave him where they needed to go, and he just improvised his way to there. Yeah. Is the planning scene with Mister Nobody? That's a really good scene. And the sergeant or the, the soldier whose name is is Shepherd with two P's. Uh huh. I like that scene so much because. He's like, he's like, I don't need to fucking plan everything. Like, I want to be in charge, and that means I fucking delegate. Like, no, that was really, that was really funny. Italian chef kiss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I want to say, in a movie that's mired with things we don't enjoy, uh, now Fast 6 kind of messed this up because I enjoyed maybe 50% of the interactions between Roman and Tej. Every Roman and Tej thing in this movie, fucking great. So good. Roman and Tej's relationship is perfect now. I want because it's almost married. pure. It's almost purely antagonistic. They need to be married. Uh, that it's my favorite relationship. Next to the last thing I think I'll talk about that I really enjoy about these movies. So Dom and Letty's relationship. They're married. For all that's bad about this movie. They're married. I love everything they do together. They're married. Um, the scene. Where it is revealed that they were married. Spoiler. Fucking got me. Me like, too. Like when it was revealed they were married. At this point I was kind of deep in a in a dark hole with this movie. When that happened I felt elated. I felt, the, I felt really happy about what I was seeing. I felt like I had seen part of a journey. The best line in this movie. Bar, bar, bar none, none. Is it, you can't tell someone they love you. You can't tell someone they love you. When that happened... It's part of a larger thing that we'll talk about near the end of the episode. You know how I know that was the best line in the movie? My fiance, who watched this movie with a frown on her face and a snark in her mouth, said in that moment, that's a pretty good line. Yeah. Someone and who is completely alienated from most of these movies yeah. can, can see that. Because, I mean, I can't even imagine that Chris Morgan wrote that line. When, it, when that happened, I want to say that, like, just to be totally clear, when I said that watching these movies has given me gifts I didn't imagine, 
the greatest thing that I didn't imagine is that I would be watching the greatest love story ever told. Ever told. (laughs) Because Dom and Letty's relationship, all of their interactions, they're acting their asses off. I don't think there's been a single thing with Dom and Letty in any of these movies that I felt was like completely unearned or insincere like i feel like and this is total like not projection but it's imagination i feel like michelle rodriguez and vin diesel have such a perfect idea about what these characters chemistry is that they will override all writing all directorial decisions and make the relationship grow genuinely and when that happened it was like the best treatment of someone who had lost their memory. It's like that character's dead, but when they remember everything, and not only do they remember everything to bring them up to present, it's like a perfect... I i don't think I've ever seen an amnesiac recollection done better because they remember everything, which revealed new information. Yeah. When they revealed new information, they then said, why didn't you tell us we were married? You can't tell someone that they love you. And that was a perfect encapsulation of their entire relationship post-amnesia. It was... It fucking blew me away. If that was in any movie, that would be great. I don't care how good the movie was originally. That is A-plus Hollywood star-level shit. I mean, it's on par with, like... Severus Snape saying, like, always, you know? Yeah, it's it's one because of... Because the implication that Dom knew this information and, and had, had the strength. And carried the pain and the knowledge with him that the person he was married to didn't know and couldn't know. And he was operating every day, hoping that they'd remember so that he could tell them, knowing that one day they might not... And this would remain a secret forever. And withholding that information to basically keep her there. Because if he if he came out swinging with like, hey, we got married, she's gone. Like, there's yeah. no way. How can you reconcile that information with your amnesia? You can't. You, it's, if this was in any movie, that would be, I almost feel like it's a disservice that it's buried seven movies deep in whatever this series has become. Because... That is, like, the most perfect end point to Dom and Letty's relationship. It's genuinely so good. So, you've probably experienced this, too, but in writing, there are nuggets that keep you going. They're like, you know, I want to get to this point, but I have to fill the landscape to justify getting to that point. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for Chris Morgan, the Dom and Letty relationship is his nugget. And everything else is background. I almost feel as though if you were to strip everything away from these movies, they are a series of events that happen between the, the like, continual growth of this deep and meaningful relationship between two people. Like, the Dom and Letty relationship is nothing that I ever expected to care about, and it is 100% what I'm in these movies for right now. And if these were books, and, like, he would... Chris Morgan would take this to an editor. The editor would tell him to lose the stuff in the middle, mm-hmm. rework it, focus on this. But of course, this is movies. Yeah. And movies need to please the widest amount of audience as possible. Mm-hmm. So we've got the explosions. We've got the Kurt Russell, Mr. Nobody. We've got the government working with criminals to catch other criminals. All of these trappings that audiences eat up. It's time and time again. Yeah. And so it, we can't. I fault it, 
But it's almost like you can't if you want to make money in the movie. And so it's the trappings of big Hollywood in a time period of Hollywood getting more and more exclusive. Only franchises, only sequels. If you want to tell your story, you tell them in these parameters. You've got executive barking orders at you telling you, let's make it funny, let's make it snarky. we got to be like the Marvel movies. Yeah. we got to have big set pieces, big explosions. And then Chris Morgan works in this relationship, weaving the line as best as he can. And I think at this point, honestly, he's getting jaded. Yeah, he's got to be. I mean... the only explanation is either there was so much freedom taken outside of the script previously that it seemed passable, or Chris Morgan phoned in most of this movie. And it might be. He, he might have known that he's he's got another couple of movies in the pipeline, and he's like, I just gotta get through this one, and then I can tell the next set of stories that I really want to tell. Kind of like Vin Diesel doing Triple X in order to do another Riddick movie. Yeah. Man, if only that had become a long-lasting series. Riddick? Yeah. With like eight eight, uh, eight of them? Look, it's a great trilogy. You got Pitch Black, you got Chronicles of Riddick, Escape from Butcher Bay, and then you have uh, fucking whatever that movie was. Which one? Because you left out two movies. Two movies? There's, there's Pitch Black, and then there's Chronicles of Riddick. And then there's Riddick. They made a third movie. No, no, no. Chronicles of Riddick, Escape from Butcher Bay is a video game. I know. I know. But the, there are there three a, movies. There is not a Chronicles of Riddick movie than a Riddick movie. Yes. There cannot be. There is. Riddick is the third I one. I refuse to believe that I have not seen one of the Pitch Black Universe movies. Next summer, we go through <laughs> the Pitch Black <laughs> That would Black be movies. much shorter. Well, there's only three. Man, this is a promise I won't make on the podcast. Uh, if you say it out loud. <laughs> we'll talk about it off air then. Uh, we'll talk about it off air. You want to go through the whole cinematic Vin Diesel universe. I'm not saying it. I am not saying it out loud. <laughs> I've never seen any of the Triple X movies. Have you seen Find Me Guilty? No. It's a drama. It's pretty good. Are we just going to become a Vin Diesel <laughs> podcast? Uh, it's what we were always destined to be. So, we, at this point in the timeline of this episode, we need to start getting to the segments that we are promised to do. The the metrics? The metrics. Okay, yes. Because here's the thing, oh and this goodness. speaks this speaks more to the quality of the movie itself. We've talked very little about the actual storyline, uh, because it's awful. And we're just kind of I almost feel like it's a shame because like they're the the new person they introduced who's the name oh, of Ramsey. the Ramsey's really good. And she's played And she is played by Nathalie uh what's her name? Nathalie Emmanuel? Yeah, that seems right. That's uh, not right. I would have... Maybe. Uh, but she's great. Uh, and is leered after in a really creepy way that I hate. Which brings us into our first metric. Holy shit, that's her name. Yeah, Natalie Emanuel. Natalie. Sometimes Natalie with an H is called Natalie. She's British, so I don't know how to pronounce it. They spell Jeff G-E-O-E-F-F-A-O-F-F. Fucker. <laughs> Run that by me one more time. They spell Jeff. G F E O E F E O E F Treatment of women. Treatment of women in the first metric. Uh I've got a lot to say about this. I have uh more to say than I thought I would because I actually made specific notes. So this movie, as we've discussed, 
is gross in its treatment of women. The three car scenes, all the butts, all the, the butts, thongs. the Abu Dhabi scene, women are literally objects to be like tugged around or dance in literal gold paint. Yeah, they're actual set pieces. So, based on what we've seen, now char- female characters do have some amount of autonomy. So, uh, I don't know. Letty breaks up with Dom. All right. Big act of autonomy. She comes back two days later. She comes back two days later. But big act of autonomy as far as the series goes. Sure. Uh, Gal Gadot is dead, which may be the biggest <laughs> act of autonomy <laughs> is to be dead. Uh, and also the biggest, my biggest sticking point with the movie, you put her in the goddamn mm. credits and she doesn't, she's not in the movie. She got paid. She's in the credits. It means she got paid. Well, all right. All right, all right. But But Gal Gadot, not there. Still the biggest crime of this franchise. They killed her. Elena is a babysitter. Elena is a babysitter. The entire... She works for the DDS. Mia. Or DSS. DSS. Mia. And we never talked about The Rock in this movie. And I had so much to say. He carries a minigun. That's my biggest... It's the best. No. No, that's actually... You literally cannot carry a minigun. Yeah, that's great. Anyway. It would heat up. His hands would be also, burned he, off. He fired it for far too long, given how long that belt uh, he had was. Anyway, so uh, treatment of women: Mia, babysitter; Elena, babysitter; Letty. Okay. The biggest strides are with Letty. She's a really great character. It's like Chris Morgan can write one woman at a time. Yeah. So do we say because we went to problematic last episode? We dropped the P. Well, we went from uppercase problematic, lowercase problematic to problematic. I feel I like, feel like it's got to be an upgrade. I feel like it almost is like two or three steps up. What do you mean by up? So you mean worse? Worse, yes. So I, I feel treatment like, of women is actually down. Yeah. So considering we, the tre- considering the named metric is how well are women treated, it's got to go down. I f- Major downgrade. I feel like we add we have to add the P back. It, I uh, almost feel like we have to add the capital P back. When when I was first thinking of that statement, I thought, oh, we add the L because it would be funny, mm-hmm. but it's not serious enough. This movie, I think, is. Capital P problematic. So it's back up to the original. However, it is backed up to the original. I would like to give you some evidence. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah. And here is evidence as far as treatment of women go. And I wanted to save this because you might not have noticed it. But I read the credits to these movies. Oh, no. Wait, no. Jamie Jamie does... Sorry. Jamie's my fiance. She does two and... In Fast Five, unfortunately, it says hot girls or hot chicks. In Fast say, Six, it, it didn't say that. You're right. But in Fast Seven, what happened? In Fast Seven, we do have the hot girls. I believe some of them are credited as race girls. Here's the thing. We are, we are right now sitting at a hot capital P problematic. When Brian O'Connor drops his son off at school, he has a limited interaction with an actress whose name is Anna Caldwell. She has no other role in the movie whatsoever. She's presumably a teacher. She is presumably a teacher, shows up, takes Jack out of the car, walks away. What's her credit name? What what do you think a credit for such a limited role would be? Would it be Miss Haversham? No, no. It is Hot Teacher. Hot Teacher. In perfectly conservative clothing. 
in no way being hot or desirable other than i guess being attractive takes jack out of the car that's for her bit part where they could have just written any name for her they wrote hot teacher credited as hot teacher and the movie has no no context for that name that's sad that's more than capital p problematic i feel like this movie has moved things in such a negative direction we need to move into thus unexplored territory and figure out what's worse than capital p problematic i'll tell you what it is two capital p's problematic 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 kind of like lady gaga poker face yeah i problematic i would agree this is the most problematic movie in the series bar none and, and Honestly, like that's great evidence, and I love that you 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 noticed that and looked that up. But we really didn't have to go farther than the three car scenes with the we plot really, hanging out. We really didn't, and we could point to. Uh, I just thought it was a great disservice to that actress. I, I, mean, I just thought it really sucked. Re- yeah, that sucks. But remember, in Tokyo Drift, the guy who started the race was in a well dressed suit, and we 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 found we watched over his it, style. We watched his waggling thonged behind. Wait, no, that was Furious Seven. Exactly, Furious Seven had a girl in a bright blue thong that the camera, yeah, noticed and Sh- caught, shaking her butt back and forth way too many times. And they, yeah, this movie's disgusting. It, it's like it's like that. This movie watched the other movies and learned the wrong lessons, other than the Letty and Dom relationship. Other than that, everything, it's just gross. Man, we hated this movie so much. We really did. So, it's moving a, on. It's a shame. We we never talked about it. We're going to. Okay. There's room. Oh uh, so, following the treatment of women, we then move on to... The Corona Count! It's um, three. Three up? Oh, three in this movie. There's three in this There's movie. There's three in a bucket of Corona, which I feel... I almost didn't want to count them because this is the first time Corona is fully played as a joke. And Wait, I don't think oh, the Cor- I yeah. don't think that Corona should be the butt of any joke because it's a joke enough. It I feel like the keg that was mentioned was more of a joke. I, oh, I was so worried that a keg was going to show up and I would technically have to count it. <laughs> I, I honestly feel like the bucket of Corona that Mr. Nobody pulls up is set in earnest. It's an offering. The bucket is Corona branded for what it's worth. Now, I want to talk realistic logistics with you. Yes. In no universe that I know of, because I only live in the one, can you get three beers? So what happened to those other three beers? I feel like we saw three in the bucket. I feel like there's another three in the bucket. Oh. Wait, or maybe like in a fridge... Or somewhere. Somewhere on that base. Wait, are we starting to pull in imagined Coronas into the count? I'm just saying, we saw three physical bottles. It's a big bucket. Yeah. Here's the thing, though, Henry. Maybe we leave it up to our listener. <laughs> we we very well could leave it up to... I'm okay with that, but I just want to say that's a dangerous... way in. I'm just going to say that's a dangerous game. Because if you remember, we had 12 in the original. That's a, that's evenly divisible. We had 16 the next time Corona... No, we had 16 in Fast 6. Yes. But that's not divisible. So that would give them an extra 2, imagining that they had to be taken from 6-packs. Look, John, I'm not saying we go back and do math. We just assume that it's 6. And, and this I'm might com- be... I'm comfortable with that. This might be the alcoholic in me who just wants to drink more. Uh, Corona? You want to drink more? That's see fair. this. This is this is where I enter the territory of I might have a problem because 
I just like drinking. So I'm willing. Oh, that's dangerous because we What's did that? the ga- we did the gambit. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, John. I just wanted to posit that as an interesting conversation topic. Yeah, but we have been pr- we have been working under the premise of visible coronas, and we still don't know how many are going to show up in the next movie. Yeah, we so, might regret that. So there are three physical coronas. There's in this three movie. physical coronas. We were at a deficit. We were at a deficit. Deficit. We were at a deficit. Oh my god, am I that bad off? Of four. We have drank four mm-hmm. tonight. We drank four tonight. I'm not going to drink those other two. Me either. So that means we're at a deficit... Of seven. No. What? No. We we negated our deficit. So, so it's just a deficit of three. Of three. We're at a deficit of three going into the eighth movie. So potentially... Whew, that was hard to say. If the eighth movie only has three Coronas in it... We technically just need to buy one more. That's perfect. If every time these movies come out, Corona gets a bump, there's gotta be a mention. There was... I read a lot of articles about how Corona gets like $75 million or whatever of free press every time one of these movies comes out, so... <sighs> oh, well boy. said. So, yeah. You know. Oh, that's making noise. Stop it. We've got to... We've got to gird our loins. All right. Because Fate of the Furious is where everything goes out the window. There could be 18 Coronas in there. Yeah. And we will have to drink that many. It does go out the window. You want to know why? Mm. For the first time in the series, a word other than a number, well, Tokyo Drift, gets introduced. <laughs> second time. For the second time, a word other than a, than a number. Third time, the Fast and the Furious did not have the word one in it. Technically, fuck, you, fuck off. <laughs> You're counting the yeah. Oh, fuck off. What I'm trying to say is a new word is introduced to the title. Yeah, the fate. <laughs> what the fuck? Is it the fate of the furious? Wait, no, fate. it's just called fate of the furious. I think it's the fate of the furious. No, but f- also the word of. Fuck you. <laughs> anyway, stop it. It's true. I'm what trying you, to make a point. It's true what you say. Is it? Yes. Oh, man, I might have turned the gain up way too high. That's fine. Uh, so, really, it's anyone's game at this point. It's either... We're look, three down. That's it. We're three down. We're That's three all? down, and we have to gain ground the next play, and we'll be fine. Because, so, you know, there's there's three more movies planned. There's three more movies planned, but I'm just saying, we've only got... We need to look at the current horizon, which is just going to be Fast and Furious 8... Fate of the Furious. So, I think that's enough Corona talk. Starting Shirley's Theron. I don't want to talk about it too much. Of course, going into the next metric, a new metric that I would like to add. Treatment of Chris Morgan? Treatment of Chris Morgan. Bad. Bad. How do we feel about Chris Morgan? Bad. Look, I will say, there are a lot of stressors when you work in the entertainment business as a writer. You have to keep delivering on a level more... More pressing than, like, between books, you know? Yeah. And that, and every writer has the moment of, moment of panic, like, what if I lose it? Like, even, even Maya Angelou, who I'm going to go to because she wrote about it. Like, they're going to find me as a fraud. They know I'm an imposter. All writers face this, this imposter syndrome of, like, we lost it. You know, the magic's not going to come again. And the fact that Chris Morgan keeps getting hired for these movies is a testament to his character, but not his writing. His writing suffered. His writing has, has majorly suffered uh, really bad. But he delivered Fast Five, and so I'm going to keep hope. He did. 
I I don't know. I feel like I was so high on the Chris Morgan uh, bubble bubble for a while, and it's starting to burst for me. Like I don't know if he's actually a good writer. It's so tough to see behind the scenes to know what's actually his fault and what's not. I'm gonna reach out to him. Please do. Get him on the podcast. podcast. Please do. We'll have a whole episode dedicated to him. He might. He won't. He won't. But he might. Especially when I explain that we have no air conditioning and we record on a couch in my apartment. Also, we're in Texas. And we're in Texas and he's in LA. Yeah, that is probably tough. I'll Uh, still reach out if he's on Twitter. If he's not on Twitter, we're fucked. So, remember when I said that we had room to talk about the thing? Is it here? It is. John... So I want to talk about the... Th- Here's how John. I imagined it going. I want to talk about the thing. John. And I want the thing to lead into the tier list. John. Yes. What a fucking gut punch. I like, I, I want to talk about the thing because if, fucking... if you're listening and you don't care. If you're listening and you don't care, Paul Walker passed away between Fast and Furious 6 to Furious... Fast 6 to Furious 7. They gave him... And I won't talk about the details of his life because it's not important to no. the thing he was in. I won't talk about the details of his death because it's not important it's to not the thing important. he was in. But I will talk about the fact that he did pass away. He recorded a... They recorded a fair amount of this movie before his passing. Yeah. Um, and for what they didn't... What they weren't able to record after his passing, they did with body stand-ins, his brother's... And like facial like rotoscoping and reconstruction yeah. uh, with CGI, and it's it's relatively obvious, but yeah, it doesn't matter. Going into it, I wanted to talk about it, but there's no reason to. It is a bummer. I mean that that's underselling. It is extremely sad that Paul Walker passed away, uh, and it hits so hard at the end. Yes, because they give him a perfect send off. They, they give him a perfect send off, and. I, I just want to say that this is genuinely, uh, I was watching this with no one. I was watching this at 1030 at night after my girlfriend had gone to sleep. This is the first time a Fast and the Furious movie had like genuinely made me cry. Like I actually cried and I can't imagine being the kind of person who, uh, to whom these movies you've been watching every like two or three years. And then at the end, after you've been on this 14 year long journey with these movies, that being the thing at the end. And it's the slow realization. Because mm-hmm. my fiancé and I both knew the song associated yeah. with this event. And when those first few notes started playing, we thought they're going to send him off heroically. They're going to give him you know, the Viking funeral. He's going to sacrifice himself. Yeah. No. It, it's, it's just... It, it, it's a Scrubs moment. Between yeah. like JD and Dr. It, Koss where it's it like... felt like... Where do you think... Where do we think? Where do you think we are? Yeah, and it's just like all of the dialogue filmed on the beach, post him walking away to be with his family, was recorded after the fact. That's yeah. Every every character, every performance, everything that people say, is recorded in the light of the fact that Paul Walker has passed away. That's the and ins- that they've been working with him consistently and been his friend for fourteen years. Yeah, they're saying goodbye to their friend, and they're doing it in the most public way that they can and it is Don, it's Vin Diesel tremendous says, it's never goodbye mm-hmm. and it, that just kills you Vin Diesel someone who for 14 years has a like uh reportedly like wide widely reported like genuine friendship with this person and has to 
granted, a year and a half after their passing, has to say goodbye for one last time. And that was recorded very near to the movie's release. Uh, it was under special circumstances that they like added all of this to the movie. And they would not release the movie unless they were able to do that. So that yeah. is a very important thing. So with that said, without getting into it too much for how perfect it was... Let's get into the tier list, because I don't want to belabor that well, before too that, much. Let's just say, a really heartfelt goodbye Yes, to Paul Walker. Uh, for for anything that we may have said about your performance or whatever. Your hair. Your hair. Whatever about these movies. like Whatever to, faults we had. To be even... Because, I mean, before this I had seen Tokyo Drift, and that was it. And that was it. the only one without Paul Walker. Yeah. Before this, I had seen none of these movies, really. And being on something that is this long-lasting with one person who you can track over time, to have something like that happen is monumentously emotional. And like I said, I can't even imagine what people who lived alongside these movies would feel like watching this. So it was it was a gut punch. It was a, a perfect send-off. And genuinely, 100%. We will miss you. We, we will very much miss you i can't imagine what these movies will be without you we got one to check it out but then they're making more but like i don't know like getting to know him through these movies <laughs> it's so emotional it feels like losing a friend it really does because even though this whole stupid thing has lasted two months i mean i've lived alongside the power of this franchise for the last what 17 years yeah like, and everyone's be, aware of it. And I know that I know what I felt like when it happened. And I felt bad. But being part of this thing, this journey of, like, one artist being part of something for that long and then no longer being able to be part of it, just massive, massive gut punch. Unbelievable. And like, at, at the end, I, I could not even believe it. And the send-off they give him is so perfect. Yeah, the, the send-off they give him is perfect because they it was pitch perfect because in any other movie, they might have figured out a way to kill his character. But at that point, and this is like, it's not meta-textual, it's just meta. And a meta send-off of a actual person who has passed away is great because they're like, everyone knows what happened. Yeah. And this is just goodbye. And, and like, just immortalizing him in the universe as he lived he went on to live his life with his yeah. family like he lives on in that universe yeah like the so perfect for all the faults that we can give james wan the fact that we revisit finally dom racing alongside brian and then the road splits and we follow brian into the sunset and that is presumably the last we see or hear of that character ever again you could not ask for anything better. And now I think. Now I feel like we sufficiently covered it. We can go into. So I'd like to start this week kind of breaking with tradition. I'd like to go first. That's a good break. Uh, so I would. I know that we have had some conversations about how my tier list. Maybe the name's not perfect or it's not performing well. Well, I and, feel like. And my been, hashtags aren't on brand. You've been retooling it every week. You've been trying a new strat. Yeah. I've been trying a new strat every week. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's something to be said for the fact that trying a new strategy too often just dilutes your message. But I feel like that's neither here nor there. 
So I would like to rename my tier list for Fast and the the Q, the Fast and Familia. And I know that last time, now I've gotten some you get some feedback. I got some feedback. So last last time I wanted to tighten it up called John's Great Car. And people got confused. They thought you had a great car when yeah. we all know you drive a Honda Fit. I was I was pulled over by the Texas police. And they said... And they said... Fuck you. They said, you can't talk about your great car on a podcast. Your car is not very great. Also, here's a ticket because your registration's expired. Uh, so... That I actually happened? I have since changed the name upon uh, urging of the Texas Police Department. I can no longer mention my car. Yeah. Uh, I, can never, I can no longer make spurious claims about my car and my tier list so welcome to what i like to call john wow wow bold sleek futuristic kind of retro future you know? yeah you really want to take as much meat off as you can and leave just the bones <laughs> and then you eat the bones <laughs> you know uh around the around the 2010s all of the the corporate logos in the world became minimalistic i feel like this is the verbal form of that <laughs> I, I agree. So, of course, we want to go into the tier list, henceforth known as John, starting with number one. With something. With, I missed the bullets. With a bullet. What the fuck? Fast Five. Yes. Fast Five is still the best movie in this franchise, in my opinion. Golf clap. Uh, Fast Five is perfect i would show fast five to pretty much anybody though it is significantly cheapened by not watching the previous six entries in no the series. Like, you need to build up to it but you know french chef french kiss yeah <laughs> french chef italian kiss and then number two now i've been thinking about my tier list a lot i'd spent almost all of my break at work rethinking it nice so how many breaks do you get and how long are they like uh 15 breaks so <laughs> the the second entry number two in the franchise just thinking in terms of like writing quality across the board it's gonna be too fast too furious second best movie ever made okay uh then of course we have fast and furious one the fast and the furious setting the groundwork something that i so much appreciate for what it is and what it gave us. I'm really glad he came around because the metaphor I kept using was it's the dirt of the series and from that dirt everything grows. Yeah, so then uh, we get into, of course, Los Bandoleros, which I love at number four. Right. Los Bandoleros is untouchable because it is so alien and different. Then we get into Tokyo Drift. Five? Okay. Number five is Tokyo Drift. Yeah. Number six is Furious 7. Okay. Interesting. Number seven is Fast Four. Okay. Fast and Furious because I fucking hate that movie. It's bad. And the last one, of course, is the turbocharged prelude to Too Fast, Too Furious. What about you? So to you already said Tokyo. Drift. I did already say Tokyo. Drift. You wrote it down, so I'm going to trust you. So of course, I'm going to need you to help me when I do mine. So remember that I said I did some significant rethinking about the tier list. Yeah, you put Too Fast, Too Furious as number two. So I actually rethought it. To a greater degree. And it surprised even me. You just said so I would. List. I would like to surprise the listeners. I am officially from number two, which is Too Fast, Too Furious. I am taking Too Fast, Too Furious from that spot. And I am putting Furious 7 in its place. 
a movie that I what on average what are you saying greatly dislike why hear me out for the last five minutes for the last five minutes for two things oh my gosh for the culmination of Dom and Liddy's relationship which from here on I do not believe gets better yeah it was perfect and for the fact that if we are ranking these in terms of how important they are to me as movies it's gotta be second it's not a good movie. I kind of hate this movie. Wait, can, and I hate to put it where it is. Can I offer you a compromise? Yes. Because I don't want to take you by surprise. Can we separate the last five minutes of Fast 7 as its own short film? Hold on, let me edit the list. Because I want to do that. Okay, so just to go over that list again, and just to let you know, I'm not willing to totally give up my spot... Goes Fast Five, number one. Number two, last five minutes of Furious 7. Too Fast, Too Furious in the number three spot. That's fine. Fast and Furious 1. Furious 7 after Fast and Furious 1. Okay. Uh, well, actually, Los Bandoleros before that. Yeah, that was four originally. Yeah, Los Bandoleros before that. Then Furious 7, Tokyo Drift, 6-4 Prelude. All right. After four, it really doesn't fucking matter because right. I didn't really care for There's so movies. many. But I want to say the last five minutes, including the Dom and Letty thing, yeah. is my second favorite movie in this franchise. Period. Yeah. And now, with a, with a heavy heart and a solemn vow to do right by the fans, I have to be respectful and introduce Wheelman Henry's Fast and loose tier list for the fuck you. That's right. My tier list. That was a sound drop, by the way. Not at all done by me in person. And at the number one spot with every bullet in the world. And I want to stress this. Every goddamn bullet. It's Fast Five. Hey, we're in agreement, Handshake. A near fucking perfect movie. It's damn close to being perfect. I don't know how that diamond in the rough was made, but I don't care. I will eat that dish every day of the goddamn week. Give me the veggies. Number two is, of course, The Fast and the Furious. The dirt from which the farm was made. You can't have the veggies without the dirt. And that is here to stay. Number three is hard. I'm going to bring up my list of all the movies just to make sure we cover them all so we don't... Please do. Number three is difficult. Because, like, those are my two favorite movies of the series. And now everything else is kind of like, eh. Yeah. I think previously I said Los Bandoleros was that number three. I think so, yes. And I think I'll stay by that, just to put it somewhere. Yeah, that's fair. And also because it's really cements the Dom and Letty relationship. Like, we got it somewhat in The Fast and the Furious, and we really needed this to understand Fast and Furious, the fourth movie. So I think it's it's important. Number three is there. Actually, hold up. Fuck that. Throw that out. Number three is the last five minutes of Fast 7. Last five minutes of Fast and Furious 7, please. Please. You're right. No, seriously. And I wish I could do like a platinum level above all the tier list and do that. Yeah. 
So fast five, last five. I kinda okay Be- because I, I want to share a quote from my fiance, and I tweeted this out earlier today, and she said with tears in her eyes, "I didn't think I would cry over these stupid movies." Accurate. I think all of us felt the same way, and like real tears were flowing. Like she cried for me. I felt the the pull. The, to, to want it to cry. If I was alone, I would have cried. But, you know, gotta be macho. I was very alone and I very much cried. Hold on, wait. So you're saying number two is last five? Yes. Handshake. Agreed. Okay. Number three is The Fast and the Furious. The Fast and the Furious. Fair. No, number four is Los Bandoleros, which I think is a handshake. Well, uh, number... F- well, things got shook, shaken up in your list. Never yeah. mind. Number five... Los Bandoleros exists in the Phantom Dimension for me right now. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> Number five, honestly, for as much as I rag on it, for the as much as I hate Sean Boswell. Number five is Tokyo Drift. Okay, Wabaki. Wabaki, like no, I don't know. So many. This is Justin Lin's first directorial debut for the series, and so much of it is just my love of anime bleeding over to the real world. Mm-hmm. Number five is Tokyo Drift. Oh. Tokyo Drift. You've got a lot of movies left to go, my man. Number six. Probably Fast Six. Fast Six, okay, that's fair. Because they match. I didn't like that movie. I, there were parts of that movie I liked. I didn't like that movie. I got four more to go. You got four more to go. Number seven is Fast Four. Okay, really? I don't know. That's fair. No, that's fair. I know that you it's liked like it a you, lot. You liked it a lot more than I did. It's like you need the echo for the dirt to take effect. You need to get the dirt echo. <laughs> You need the dirt as an echo? Yeah. Number eight. What the fuck is left? Too Fast, Furious 7, and the prelude. Alright, number eight. You gotta work on this ahead of time, my man. It has become impossible to keep track. No, I'm gonna improv this every week. Number eight. Can't believe I'm saying this. This is the first time all these recordings has gone to two hours. Number eight is the prelude. Really? Yes, the prelude to Fast and Furious. You hated it that much? Number nine is Too Fast, what? Too Furious. Hold on! Red Letter Day! Number nine is Too Fast... And I, I mean this. At dead last, barring the last five minutes, is Fast 7. That shit's a handshake. I Cause, had... Because Too Fast is no longer in the last spot. Well, no. I had such a displeasure of watching Fast 7. Every moment was like watching my favorite characters get tortured. Other than the moments that we liked, that we talked about, and those were few and far in between, this was not a fun ride. This is a red letter day, because for both of us, Too Fast was shaken from its spot. Yeah. Too Fast... And who, honestly... Who's to say what the tier list will look like for Fate of the Furious? No one can say. Well, honestly, I don't think it's going to change. I think Fast 7 is that bad. Fate might surprise you. And it's it's a shame. I honestly think it's a shame that the last five minutes are attached to that movie. Yeah, it, there's a lot in that movie. Like I said, it's all it's all things I hate or things I love. But for me, the love beat out. But well, and that's why. I but want, also, that movie disgusted me, and I hated it. That's why I wanted to extend the olive branch of ex, of separating the last five minutes because for me, for I mean, it's you a and completely I different movie. are in total agreement about how good that is. Yeah. So, we do separate it. It is the third short film. The third short film. In the FAQ at this point. And, of course, that leads us, as always, into the social media. Yes. 
Because at this point, I don't care who lives and dies. Yeah. It's, I, it's, I, it seems kind of tacky to talk about. Yeah, at this point, who cares? Uh, and at this point, I... Yeah, bad taste. So, going into the social media, if you would like to tell us who you want to live and die, because so, uh, bad taste does not apply to the masses, you can tweet at us at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com, which stands for... Henry. Sorry, Christian people. Cars without... Human jobs! <laughs> That's right. That's what it stands for. And uh, if you want to send us kind of a long-form tweet, you can use email on your Nokia 3310 fucking millennials at zero credits as a podcast at gmail.com. You can search for us on the Facebook search bar. Just search zero credits podcast. Facebook is dead. It's a past platform for growing your business. And we stream video games sometimes, twitch.tv slash zero credits. We've done that, I believe, once. And if you want to like, comment, and subscribe, just kidding, you gotta. If you listen to me say this, you are honor-bound, how dare you scroll past without saying howdy, to uh, like, comment, and subscribe, and rate us five stars on on, iTunes on SoundCloud what the fuck on iTunes if you welcome to my TED talk so do all those things on iTunes because that is iTunes and Apple Podcasts because that is the best way that we can reach a greater audience and just kidding the greatest way we can reach a new audience is with the word of the mouth which is the only way that we can survive so tell your friend tell your wife Tell your wife who didn't know that she was your wife until she recovered from amnesia. You thought this was a street fight. You're goddamn right it is. Tell your friends. A lot of... Might have been a little long-winded, but I'll let it slide. Um, From everyone here at the Zero Credits, fuck you, Garage. You deserve yourself a dance with the devil, son.